But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. That's a tough one. <laughs> That's a tough one. Welcome back to Open to Truth, a podcast all about exploring big ideas and discovering truth together. My name's Clint. Hey, I'm Tony. Welcome back. And hey, I thought it'd be fun to do a little recap of a class I just taught at our church on yeah. interpreting the Bible and right. hit some of the highlights that I thought were kind of interesting. Yeah, awesome. That'd be helpful. So, and okay, let's just start from the top. In, interpret that has a horrible connotation in some circles. Mm-hmm. It is fraught with uh, a, a negative connotation that um, it's almost like used synonymous with opinion. Yeah, yeah. Like well, that's just your interpretation. It's not the official stance. It's just your interpretation. Yeah. But ultimately, everyone is forming an interpretation. Anytime you receive information or process it yes. when reading, Good. you have to interpret Right. You're decoding, right? Interpreting right. is shorthand for uh, understanding the meaning. Yeah. And so anytime you've ever been communicated with in all the various mediums. Right now, in fact. Yes. You are you, interpreting. Yeah. It's just that you're doing it relatively automatically. You mm-hmm. likely speak English and you're so fluent. Yeah. That can't you help. can Yeah. You're, and we're speaking in ways that are not idiosyncratic. Like we're... We're using the words how they normally are used. Yeah, we're not being the Riddler here. And so you're immediately grasping the meaning of what we're saying. Yeah. This is not always the case. Sometimes it takes some effort to interpret, particularly when it's in a different language or it was something written or spoken in a very different time from you. Yeah. Cultural context to where it's not obvious what they're getting at. Well, there's so much distance between you and the author. That, I mean, for communication to work, the person communicating and the person being communicated to need to be somewhat on the same, have some kinds of same frame of reference so that the words are referring to the right realities, right? Mm-hmm. And that just gets more complicated when you're 2,000 years removed and culturally in a very different spot, like when it comes to the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So just with communication generally, I would say, and let's... uh. Let's move to text-based because we're going to get to the Bible in a minute. Um, There are these three different layers or levels of meaning. I posit before you now, so let's see what you think of it. The first is the perceived meaning. How Just how did it strike you? Upon hearing it, you thought something about it. So like the initial decoding that sort of your brain does automatically. Right. How does it appear to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Then there's what we might call the textual meaning, or just like if I were to um, come in contact with these words on the page, beyond just how it immediately struck me, I might attend to it further and notice a little bit more, perhaps. Um, maybe I missed something, but these are the these are how the words would work together. In, in the English language. Like mm-hmm. these are just what the words mean. And when you string them together, you know. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm saying? I think so, yeah. Uh, yep. Like the dictionary kind of grammatical take on this little chunk sentence. of text. Yeah. Yep. And then I think the layer beneath that is the author's intent or authorial intent. 
Yeah. What did the person who created that text uh, intend to communicate? What what ball were they trying to throw? There's an idea that I have um, and that I would like you to also have. Ideas are fine. The, pri- the problem is they are private. They're not public. I have I- ideation is happening, <laughs> and I would love for you to have the same idea that I do, but I... I I can't just will it to happen internally. Yep. There's some kind of external mode that I'm I'm either like ost- um, pointing or I'm making noises. Yeah. And this is how lang- we did a whole podcast on the development of language. Yep. But it's this effort to get the idea that I have into my head. And, uh, something close enough to where we can go about the projects we would like to. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So imagine you know the. The author's intent is, you know, I want you to catch it in this way. The textual meaning is the ball being thrown, and the perceived meaning is like what's caught. Great, that's a great way to okay analogize. Yeah. And so when we say, "What's the meaning of the passage?" What does the, what are we saying? Like when, when if you were to hear that in church or just anywhere else, which one? Well. My mind goes to these days authorial intent. Authorial intent. What what was the writer trying to communicate? That's a, I at least want to start there, if not end there. Like, like that yeah. seems important. That seems relevant. That seems like the uh, that could we might say the objective standard mm-hmm. for what was meant by it. Yeah. Now you, uh, so there's probably some funny comedy bits you could do from here, like. Um, this happens all the time in miscommunication with spouses. Classic. You know? Yeah. I have intended to not be snarky or oh, rude. Yeah. But some but it was perceived as rude. Yeah. Well, what which one is kind of like what really happened? Yeah. Should you still get in trouble for it? You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it was not the authorial intent. And so miscommunication is just this phenomenon where yeah. the authorial intent does not match the perceived meaning. Yep. Tragic yeah. tragic. That's and we want to, so when we go to read these ancient texts of the sorts in the Bible, we want to uh, make his path straight. You know, we want to <laughs> lower the obstacles for the mismatch to not occur. Yeah, I would like what Paul or whoever what they wrote to be what I. I'd like to them. catch whatever ball he was throwing. Yes. Yep. I I view that as that is the project of interpretation. Mm. That is my attempt to understand the meaning. Yeah is I need to arrive at the author's intent. Yeah. Now, if for some reason that that is inscrutable or I can't gather enough evidence to know what it is, which that doesn't mean it didn't have an author's intent oh, yeah. and that we can just rely on our perceived meaning. Right. Maybe it's just best to be agnostic. Right, right. Cuz I have to imagine that just that must happen in scripture all the time where or in any any writing that is mm-hmm you know, thousands of years removed and in a different culture, there's going to be some, some nuggets that will get missed because maybe he's, maybe he's using an idiom that was, there's a, is it Exodus four or 14? It's one, something like that. There's that crazy story of Moses's wife, Sephora drapes the foreskins on toes. Yes. And it's like, I think that's one of them where even like the most, accomplished scholars are it's like we're not sure we just don't know we don't know like, what's we have going some ideas but 
it's pretty hard to get what the author is, you know, <laughs> for sure intending to communicate. Yeah, with yeah. Yeah, it was Exodus 4. Oh, please. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Oh, what? That came, came out of nowhere. But Zipporah took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. That's a tough one. <laughs> that's a tough one. It's one of the weirder passages in scripture. But So that's an example where um, there is probably, there's some, not miscommunication, just a, a failure to communicate. It wasn't like the wrong message was received. We just don't really know what. Yeah. Well, how can, okay. Maybe you're going to get here, so don't let me jump too far ahead. But how do you know when you have arrived at understanding authorial intent versus when you should remain agnostic? Um, How can you gather enough, or is it just a confidence thing? How can you learn enough about culture and place and authors' intent and all that to be like, yeah, I think this is what he was saying, and I'm confident this is what he meant. Versus, mm. um, you said some situations we should just remain agnostic about. I'm wondering, how do you assess your own confidence level in something like that? Mm. Um, can you ever be? Can you ever? Well, maybe it goes back to the knowledge episode. I'm more. I'm <laughs> can you ever know? <laughs> I'm thinking it might. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, a couple things I can say that yeah. might be helpful. Uh, I might think that you should remain agnostic about certain passages. That's not to say that other sure. interpreters do. Yeah. You know, so it's up to, and it gets back to what you were saying at, at the outset about like responding to this worry that interpretation is a dirty word. Mm. Uh, we all are interpreters. Yeah. You can't help but do this. You are stuck yeah. in this position of having to understand it, whether it's purely just you yeah. and with your machinations of reading it, or you've, you're looking at scholars. You're not only have they, are they in the same boat you are? It's just, they have more training. Yeah. And so they're looking for interpreters. They're trying to understand it and thus form an interpretation. But you then, even if you were to read the scholar, you it's a little bit downstream of that. It's still you are – there's no way to get above or past the project of interpretation. We mm-hmm. are stuck here. Yep. That is – just hear me. I am not saying there's not an objective meaning of the text. Yes. This is often – what happens with in these circles? Yes. They drift toward what's called reader response theory of hermeneutics, where it basically means whatever the whatever reader... Whatever it brings up in you, that's what it means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you get this whole industry of feminist reading, uh, black African reading, and Asian hermeneutic. Which... Uh, whatever um, ideology that you independently happen to hold or set of backgrounds or whatever. Allow uh, that you, to color the you text. You Jesus. You uh, read into the text. Yeah. Your story. So there's a whole like philosophy of hermeneutics of, or interpretation that that's... I'm trying to not go there. Yeah. The objective meaning is the authorial intent for the project of understanding the meaning of the passage. Great. Yes. Because I do think, either way, the eisegesis thing is very interesting mm-hmm. psychologically that you would project 
your own worldview onto a text and see things pop in a certain way yes. might say something very interesting about how you've ordered your mind, you've ordered your worldview, the kinds of things that stand out to you. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a different exercise. Pro- might maybe even useful in places. to like. Right. It's a exactly. kind of a mirror that you can hold up and be like, well, what stands out to me and what does that say about what I value? Like, yeah, that's interesting. But it's a different project than what does the text mean? What did the author mean by it when he wrote that's it? That's the thing. And that's honestly, I think some of these debates are are simply hung up on their equivocating on the word meaning. Yeah. By I guess when I'm my position is in this in this discussion, the word should be used to refer to authorial intent. Mm-hmm. And maybe the three layers that I mentioned. Yeah. But then there's this other meaning we use of like significance. Like the meaning of yes. life, the importance yes. or significance, that is that's different. If you want to find significance for your life from the text, now now you're doing what's called application. Yeah, that's a different exercise. Mm-hmm. And you can and the more conservative end would say one not ought uh, apply something different from what the author intended. Okay, maybe. Yeah, but that's different than. Just saying the meaning of the text is what the author intended it to mean. And it's on us partnering with the author to try to catch yes. that ball yep. of communication. Well, I'm on board with you, man. Okay, but just, yeah, we're we're stuck in this project of interpretation back to your like epistemology question. How do you know? Well, again, just like with so many, so often this is the answer, right, is checking in with other people that are in the interpretive project that you trust to be good faith reporters of how confident they actually are not Mm -hmm. overstating their case Mm -hmm. and uh, weighing the evidence and evidence is a indicator of the truth of something and once you have a preponderance of it then you are now a philosopher to say justified in making an assertion yep you uh you would not be blameworthy for (laughs) taking this cognitive step yeah of asserting that you hold something to be true yeah. once you have enough evidence. What's enough? This is the million-dollar question in epistemology. Uh, but we kind of all know it when we see it. Yeah. And there's, these gray ca- there's clear cases when you don't have enough to say that, where you do, and there's a, the middle ones that it's tough. But Yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But I do think you are kind of left to your own devices, ultimately, of adjudicating this is the confidence level I have in this particular claim. And if it doesn't reach the 50% credence level or confidence level, then I'll just remain agnostic, agnostic about it. About Once it breaks that threshold, then I'm like, yeah, I'm, I do hold that to be the case. I'm close, though. I mean, it wouldn't take much to change my mind. Yeah, right. And were you saying earlier that you reckon there's some parts of Scripture that at this point the authorial intent is inaccessible to us? Like we... I know that's such a strong state, that's loaded strong. question. <laughs> uh, that's strong. Or just, I mean, that's an example of one that I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm sure maybe something could come to light that would help. Yeah, like the discovery of Dead Sea Scrolls type thing that yes. maybe helps us down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, if we discovered some S- vase of that foreskins. had foreskin draping on toes and this whole little mural someone had painted of other Why associated practices that would that enlighten. Would help. That would enlighten. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So I think 
here's another like interesting problem or debate that we face in biblical hermeneutics or the project of interpretation. Um, and this gets highlighted in the New Testament in this little subgenre of a parable. Mm. A parable is like a fictional narrative, a little story. Uh, sometimes a true parable would be like it has characters and a plot, mm-hmm. like the prodigal son or the good Samaritan, right? You're, yep. You're, there's characters and things happen in the story. Yeah. Other times it's like a, it's called a similitude or it's all, the kingdom of heaven is, is like, like it's this. an analogy of some right. kind. And those are considered parables of, yeah. But let's just focus on like the story ones. Now, a pretty famous one is called the parable of the sower. Mm. And this guy is throwing out seeds onto different pathways mm-hmm. uh, or a different terrain. Yep. And the seed uh, does different things based on the terrain. It either sprouts up and grows. Um, sprouts up for a little while in shallow soil, but then can't establish root. Yeah, do you dies. remember the four? Some of the seed got eaten by birds because mm-hmm. it went onto the dry ground. Some of birds, rocky soil mm-hmm. that's shallow best soil where it flourishes choked out by vines yes good so jesus just offers this parable on the heels of being uh told by the pharisees the leaders in israel that he could only do his miracles because in certain places uh because of the devil Oh. He was fueled by demons. Oh, they were telling he him. He cast out demons yes. by demons. Sorry, I thought you were talking about so, when his faith meter wasn't full at that so one So he's place. rejecting, uh, he's being rejected by Israel in a sense. Mm-hmm. And so he now is deploying parables, the parable of the sower, and the disciples ask what it means. And so Jesus goes through shot for shot, each of the four terrain, this is what this refers to. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he he explains or explicates the meaning. Like he had something in mind yes. when he was telling the parable. Mm-hmm. So the I think it's like the um, the devil is the bird that snatches it away. Mm-hmm. The vines are like the worldly concerns choke out the faith. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. So what happened in the history of interpretation, and particularly the early church, uh, our, our interpretive history is littered with allegory. So this, oh, yeah, man. this, because Jesus kind of is showing us how to interpret a passage in yeah. a way, yeah, um, or a story, that every little detail of the story had a spiritual equivalent. Yes, and so by the time we get to Augustine, and I'd love to just rattle this off for us, we get the Good Samaritan story, which the basic story of that is, I think it's a a Pharisee and a priest or a teacher some yeah as a levite and or a, a scribe yeah. someone uh walk past a beaten man on the side of the road yeah and then the dirty rotten samaritan that everyone would have hated anyone who is listening to the story is like oh samaritan well yeah. he's the one that actually helped out the yeah. man in need and paid for all his costs yeah and typically in churches today that would be preached about it, the topic is who is my neighbor yeah. how should i be neighborly yeah. Um I think in some uh I think the passage in the gospels is a teacher of the law asking who's my neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And this he tells this story in response. 
right. and then asks him, so who was the guy's neighbor? Right. Like, oh, the Samaritan man, the okay. one who took care of his needs. So you, we might have heard of Augustine, one yeah. of the most famous church fathers. <laughs> this is how he handled, this is what the meaning of the Good Samaritan story is. In Augustine's words. Yeah. So a man was going down from, I'm just going to tell you what he thought the allegory was. Great. Yeah, please. So the man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho is Adam. Jerusalem is the heavenly city of peace from which Adam fell. Jericho is the moon and signifies Adam's mortality. Robbers, the ones that beat him, were the devil and his angels, stripped him of his clothes as of his immortality, beat him by persuading him to sin, leaving him half dead as a man he lives, but he died spiritually, therefore he's half dead. The priest and the Levi are the priesthood and ministry of the Old Testament. The Samaritan is Christ. Bandage his wounds as binding the restraint of sin. Uh, oil, these are the things he got once he was being cared for, is the comfort of good hope. Wine, exhortation to work with a fervent spirit. Donkey is the flesh of Christ's incarnation. The inn is the church. The next day is the resurrection. Two silver coins is the promise of this life and the life to come. And the innkeeper is Paul. The innkeeper is Paul. <laughs> Man, okay. I have, that few, wild? I have a few thoughts yeah. on that. And, and I might jumble them when they come out, but there's some element there of, of pattern recognition gone haywire of like, um, okay, you and I both listen to a decent bit of Jordan Peterson mm-hmm. and he talks about archetypes, story beats, and the fact that these things recur through history. And it is possible, for example, to watch a Marvel movie and point out that's the Christ figure who's going to die and be resurrected and and kind of draw some analogies where the particulars of the story are really just stand-in symbols for some larger archetype that you do see play out in stories constantly over and over and over again. Okay, and there's some interesting truth to that, even though it is abstract. There's something interesting there. But that reads to me like someone who's having a manic episode and is drawing connections, you know, mm-hmm. just between air, where everything is filled with significance, everything has a hidden meaning, and it's all interconnected. Um, and it it seems to me just like really dangerous and confusing territory to walk into. Say more. Why? Well, to how confident. Why does he think the donkey is Jesus' flesh? And like, <laughs> and and I guess he's got some little model in his mind where that makes sense to him. Yeah, and it fits. But like, he's trying to follow Jesus. Jesus did this with the parable of the sower. But Jesus told the parable, so yeah. Jesus knew what he meant. <laughs> you know, right? Um, but what I think, um, what they're trying to notice there is. That there's a, there's a spiritual meaning to all the text. So this is where it kind of gets into our initial tripartite view of meaning. Perceived meaning, textual meaning, authorial intent, and even like some really, not just Augustine, that's probably, I mean, that's of course an extreme kind of wild example. Mm. But uh, Walt Kaiser is on the board of like putting together the New Testament, uh, the um, NIV version mm-hmm. of the Bible. So like extremely smart guy 
leading this committee that put together one of the most probably the most popular translation yeah. in modernity and he held, held to this view of census plenier census plenier is latin for fuller meaning perceived meaning textual meaning authorial intent bedrock fuller meaning the spiritual meaning this is the real meat and potatoes that we want to get to this is the good stuff and so the whole and on this view all scripture has both an authorial intent like the spirit the god inspired authors to write something down like they gave however that worked the idea flow from god to author to page authorial intent and in like divinely the holy spirit embedded or crafted in uh kind of secret spiritual meaning and is that something maybe you don't know about walter necessarily but that is unique of the bible or all old scripture all text anywhere has hidden secret oh, spiritual i think meaning. just the bible just this collection yes. of books okay well because the reason know, i'm asking is just because that that sort of analogizing that augustine did there can be done with any text i could do that with harry potter and Say Harry's a, a symbol of Christ and sure. Voldemort's Satan and the broom is the chariot he rides on. Or I don't know. You know, there's mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff you so can do. So there's one um it's one thing to say this reminds me of something else, and it's another to say that's what it means. Good. They just are different. Yeah. And one is fine, in my opinion, and the other one is it's one a violation. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> So they yeah. get a lot of sea legs mm. from this view with, um, so this is in between Jesus saying the parable mm -hmm. and explaining it. This is right in between in Mark. Um, when he was alone, Jesus, the 12 and others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving ever hearing but never understanding otherwise they might turn and be forgiven interesting line from jesus <laughs> uh, there's a whole spiel we could say about that but just that little part of the, um the secret has been given to you so there's a secret knowledge element yeah um and i heard people pull in from second or first corinthians 2 about like the those who are spiritual can discern the things that are spiritual, but those who are worldly cannot. Mm -hmm. And so there is a, a very vibrant trend in the church, which would say, and this is where we get the doctrine of illumination. Mm -hmm. That's the Holy Spirit's job to illuminate the meaning of the passage because there's these spiritual meanings embedded in there for... You're not going to get otherwise. You will not get unless God reveals it to you. Mm-hmm. Now, one, another huge reason that this view gained a lot of popularity was, um, I mean, I'm sure people have been wrestling with it for a while, but enlightenment comes around, different critical methods of handling scripture arise, and there just started to be more awareness of how the New Testament is handling the Old Testament, or when an author, yeah. a New Testament author quotes a passage <laughs> from the Old Testament it seemed to be violating our rules about authorial intent. Yeah. Everyone was kind of on board with authorial intent as like, that's the gold standard. But then you have, it's almost never respected. They just play in fast and loose. 
So in Matthew 2, the story of uh, Jesus being taken to Egypt by yeah. Mary and Joseph to yeah. avoid being killed in the rounding up of the young ch- male children by Herod. Okay. Yeah. And in Matthew, it says, Out of Egypt I've called my son. Yeah. He's quoting. To fulfill, or let's get the exact word. Yeah. He's Something like to fulfill as the prophet said. Right. Yep. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. And that's Matthew's commentary on this is Matthew. what the prophet wrote. That's right. He's yeah. he's saying like... So here's something that happened with Jesus. And check it out, guys. It fulfilled this thing that... Who's the prophet he's referring to? Is Isaiah? Ho- Hosea. Hosea. That Hosea wrote in the Old Testament, out of Egypt I've called my son. Look, came true in Jesus. So you read that, uh, like if you're a novice and you've just seen this for the first time, like, wow... Really? Like that old prophet he from that it. long ago said that Jesus would be whisked away to Egypt? Like that's amazing. That's a that's a the Bible is miraculous. It's it's self-authenticating. Yeah. Um there are miracles contained within. This was written before. This was out and look. And so you're like, "Oh wow. I'll, let me go. Let me go that read is Hosea." So cool. Let me see that in person in Hosea 11:1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Oh. Well, that didn't scream Jesus right away, did it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It seems like he's talking about Israel yeah. and the and exodus from Egypt. The time they spent in Egypt. <laughs> yeah. And so there's examples like that all over the place, particularly in Matthew, yeah. trying to connect Jesus' message of being the Messiah to their scriptures, the, mm-hmm. the Hebrew Bible. And it's like, man, what do we do with this? It seems like our Bible authors are bad interpreters. What are they doing? And so, yeah. what, so census plenier, this view, uh, makes space for this and saying, yes, Hosea was talking about the Exodus. And when the Holy Spirit inspired him to do that, uh, embedded the spiritual meaning that Jesus would be whisked away to Egypt. Thus, Matthew, in being inspired by the Holy Spirit, was picking up on he latched onto the, the author's intent, meaning. the Holy Spirit as author. Yes. Coming together? Yes, it's coming together. So, I have my little opinion on this, but I'd be curious what your... How, how that's hitting you. I don't love it. I don't love it. It just seems, um, man, it seems like I could get myself into hot water if that's the approach I was taking. Um, or again, it would just be like, okay, that would be the very last kind of hunt for meaning I might do. Like, let's just, I want to suspend my disbelief for a moment and say maybe there are these hidden spiritual truths littered throughout scripture. Mm-hmm. I'm de- that's definitely not where I'm starting when I read it. I want to start by knowing, well, I want to start by what do these words say? Mm-hmm. That's reading. And then I want to know who wrote them and what were they trying to communicate when they wrote them. But wh- what is the conf- how could you have confidence that you have latched onto the secret spiritual meaning and not just invented your own. The Holy Spirit revealed it to me. Just felt the inner confirmation. Oh, man. 
He hasn't revealed it to me. Yeah, yeah, man, it's extremely troubling. It's a it is rife for abuse. Uh, one, it's unfalsifiable. Right. Yeah. There's no. There is no independent way to uh, aff- to corroborate right. or disconfirm the claim. Yep. Other than uh, I was revealed to differently. Yeah. And so you just have all that you have are personal self reports, and it's, it just doesn't seem like we need to do that. We don't need to adopt this view of census plunier mm-hmm. to have our Bibles do what they were designed to do. I right. I'm just particularly cautious given that, like what I said earlier about our tendency to read things into texts and for texts to become a mirror of our own psychology, it might feel like you've latched onto some hidden meat, like something jumped out at you, and that Mm -hmm. is interesting and maybe useful too, maybe, but it'll differ. What jumps out at you will differ than what jumps out to a hundred other people when they read it. Is it the Holy Spirit illuminating in all cases or is it an interesting psychological phenomenon like when you go car shopping and suddenly you see beetles everywhere like vws you know yeah um i think being uh leaning too heavily into the census plunier model uh is really harmful for biblical literacy and if you if something you want your congregation to do is interact faithfully with scripture mm. then they're going to have a harder time doing that if you're a census plunier advocate because as they see you handle scripture, they will never, ever get out of it what you did. Because yeah. yours is an entirely private endeavor right. where it was just revealed to you that this is what it means. And they don't have your mind and Experience. relationship yep. with the spirit. Yep. Yep. What they have are all the publicly available tools of scholarship and research and study Bibles mm-hmm. where I could get start whittling away at the evidence track to get to knowledge of authorial intent yeah that's what we all can do yeah and so i think that's what we should focus our our preaching our messaging about the bible is help people gearing our people to care about authorial intent and resource them well for discovering what it is um yeah part of that being not living in a biblical echo chamber yeah um and consulting a myriad of sources. Mm-hmm. But the census plenier view, particularly as it gets expressed in the church, like violates all of those virtues. It's and it's privatized. Um, it's unfalsifiable. No one can be, it's completely relativistic. No yep. one can be wrong about it or shown to be wrong. Yeah. Um, particularly, I mean, you're kind of hung on both strands. Some say, all scripture has a fuller meaning. Some say it's just the times when the New Testament cites the Old Testament. It was, it was, oh. in, which seems totally ad hoc. It seems a bit ad hoc. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this theory's purely been devised to just get to you make out room of, for that. Yeah. Right. So, okay, talk to me about then the role of how you see the role of the Holy Spirit in your scripture reading are there just there's different approaches you take it's different things you're doing like studying scripture versus reading it for soul formation or something or is it they go hand in hand like you do your study and you want to find out what did paul write so you're like looking up all kinds of commentaries and to try to get a handle on culture and idioms and all of that Mm -hmm. 
and then once you discover authorial intent, authorial intent, you invite the Holy Spirit to speak to you about how this might impact your life based on what Paul was saying. Or I'm just wondering, isn't there some involvement of the voice of God when we read Scripture to like, hey, does this need to be, does this have implications for my life? And um, or is it a purely academic study endeavor? Do you get what I'm asking? I think perhaps. Um, I just want to know how it fits in in your life. If so right now, as I sit here, yeah, I do not think the Holy Spirit is involved in the project of the gathering of meaning. Right. The revealing of authorial intent isn't done divinely. I've never had that happen yeah. where, um, like, suppose you're a listener right now and you had never heard of what a Samaritan was, which yeah. is fine. Uh, I would, I would find it. I would be totally flabbergasted to learn that later today, rather than Wikipedia, the spirit revealed, the spirit it. revealed to you that a Samaritan was, you know, the history the of that of people Jews. group. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, and so many of the details of finding authorial intent are like that. They yeah. are publicly accessible types of things, maybe lost to history mm -hmm. and that stinks. And hopefully something comes up like the mural we talked about earlier, mm -hmm. but that's the, I don't see the Holy Spirit involved there. So yeah. like I I'm not a huge fan of the illumination doctrine. Yeah. What I do think is involved is so there's interpretation and then there's application. Interpreting is discovering the meaning of the passage. What did the author mean to say to that original audience? Okay, but this was written thousands of years ago. How can I apply that message, that proposition or that command or that emotion, how does that map on to my life in some way? I consider application to be the process of discovering how am I going to change the way I think, act, and feel on the basis of this message. Mm. It's in that space that I really want to be relying on the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Very active. Yep. I don't want to leave that totally to my own proclivities. Mm -hmm. I want to be challenged and encouraged by what we are saying is a living and active God. Mm -hmm. So in, in that sense, um, I would, you can, you can, and it's fine to treat the Bible in a purely academic way. There are in, in the sense that that's a worth, that's a worthy project to give one's time to. We need people like that, that can dedicate their time to sorting through these so we can have resources like study Bibles and commentary. That's great. Yep. And hopefully those very same people also are being moved by the message and God is speaking to them through the message that the author intended to say. Mm -hmm. Now, if you find some creative parallels, like maybe you read the great, the good Samaritan story before, and you were jiving with what some of Augustine was saying in terms of like, it reminds you of it. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. And maybe the Holy Spirit will do something in you through that to you know, guide you toward a, a way of living differently as a result. Yeah. But that's not that's, it's it's not the meaning of it. It's a different project than interpretation. I, I think so. That's how I'm carving it up as of now. So something like a Lexio Divina, like a, what are they? It's like an imaginative reading or um, immersive reading. The idea is you read and correct me if I get this wrong, read a passage of scripture, um, 
slowly, thoughtfully, attentively, and you read it through a few times and allow yourself to imagine that you are someone in the story. Really imagine that you're there and that this mm -hmm. is all happening. And then maybe there's some interesting nugget that can be learned about who you considered yourself to be in that story. Or maybe your imagination sparks some little detail that puts a different flavor on the whole thing. That's what the kind of cute phrase of like letting don't just get into your Bible, let the Bible get into yeah. you. Or instead of you reading the Bible, let the Bible read you. Yes. And right. so you're soak taking the I've step heard of... i it. Yep. Yep. You, so classic example is like the paralytic being lowered through the roof and there's all these different characters. Great. And so you could spend some time reading the story over and over as like taking on the perspective of the different characters. Like imagine if I were the paralytic man. The guy on the roof. What would that feel like? What would be I be feeling? Through? And mm -hmm. Yeah. And I would say that doing that well, or you could do that even better by having a wealth of biblical mm. knowledge background. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can really picture what a ancient a Israeli house home looks like. Would look like. Yeah, yeah. How much space is in there? Is there this big atrium, like a big wealthy suburbia house? Yeah. No, maybe not. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a you know, one-story little. Yeah. Um, and so that might assist you in your imaginative but that's not vibrancy. But that's not a bad thing to do, that kind of a reading. Just understand it's a different thing than trying to get authorial intent. That's right. Like that's why the author wrote it or that that's what they're trying to say. Yeah. Like uh, the, math, the author of Matthew, I should say is Matthew, mm -hmm. did not mean, did not intend for you to apologize to your sister-in-law because when you did your Lexio Divina reading, you were convicted. You yourself convicted of that. Yeah. Yes. The Holy Spirit would like you to do that mm -hmm. and spoke through this story. As a tool of communication or something. But That's right. Yeah. Okay. I think. I yeah. Mean, I mean. I don't know. Maybe it's cheapening or shortchanging. I don't know. I, I don't think, well, I don't think so. It's just um, cl more clearly delineating what the tasks are here. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make your relationship with scripture any less vibrant, if anything, more. Um, there actually may be way more for you to uncover there than, than you might have realized. Like the academic digging will help inform your understanding of what the author meant, what the passage means. Mm -hmm. um, no, that's good, man. What would be... Uh, what would be some tools we can offer listeners who haven't taken this approach maybe to scripture before, maybe don't consider themselves super academic, or even that doesn't sound very exciting. Great. Now I've got to really study my scripture and I mean, I can't just crack it open like a magic eight ball and expect it to tell me about my life. What, what would be some good first steps or tools like, hey, if you want to start digging at authorial intent more, I keep saying authorially intent because it just rolls off my tongue that way. Do you want to start digging at that? First step, what do they do? Hmm. Or do you discourage? Uh, if you're not going to be good at it, don't go digging. I don't, might do... Because um, you'll uh, get yourself twisted up. I was about to make an analogy with how you train or recommend you train like new guitarists or pianists. Oh, yeah. Like pick your favorite song. What do you want to learn? Mm. So I'd start with, is there a passage or a particular book of scripture that is significant to you? Mm -hmm. Let's start there. I mean, there's 
Let's start with what you actually care about and are interested in. Um, and then the first thing I would say is like getting a good study Bible. Mm -hmm. um, Can you recommend any? I mean, we'll just, uh, just an, study Bible. NIV study Bible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would probably get a couple of versions. Like it depends how like much time you want to put into it, but attending to the genre of the literature, what kind of thing am I picking up? Yeah. And learning more about um, the rules of engagement for that genre. Mm -hmm. What should I should I be reading this as an ironclad eternal promise or something else going on? Yeah. So the thing I always point people to is what I read from earlier with from. Um, they were quoting Augustine, is how to read the Bible for all it's oh, worth. Yeah. Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart um, would be required reading in most undergrad yep. Bible programs. But that's going to walk you through um, all of the different genres of literature and how they ought to be handled because that's going to greatly that's – that's an enormous step for figuring out what the author intended. Sure. What is he writing? Is it a letter? Is it a poem? Yep. Is yeah. it a legal document? Yeah. Is it, yeah. Um, I don't know if that sounds too dry and not that helpful of advice. No, that's good. How how about um, do you have a go to for commentaries? How useful is it to get other people other people's comments on a particular passage? I think what's most important with that is doing some research about what their theological uh, bent is. Isn't that interesting? I find the same because it does come through in the commentary, mm -hmm. which is not what you would necessarily want. Ideally, you would want someone who doesn't already have a paradigm, right? And is just getting at authorial intent based on this scripture, who wrote it, when they wrote it, why they wrote it, what was going on. But it is it often you catch hints of their systematic theology yeah. in the commentary. And I don't know how you avoid it. I mean, I just... Mm. I'm not even. I'm not even so sure that that's bad. Um, it depends. But yeah. Hmm. Maybe I don't want to go down that whole rabbit trail. But yeah, finding out what their background is. Yeah, what theological commitments do they have? So, for instance, if someone is a Calvinist, mm -hmm. and like human beings don't really have genuine free will. And there's this predestination. There, it's just going to have a different feel when you read a lot of these passages than someone who is not, mm -hmm. or maybe they're more charismatic or whatever it is. Yeah, you're not sure if that's bad. I mean, isn't what we're trying to get to some objective passing of the text that it shouldn't matter what their personal theology is? I just want to know what did the author mean. Mm -mm. So. Shouldn't I be troubled if I start to find some more subjective or personal bents being thrown in? Shouldn't there be some objective consensus we can reach? I think, well, uh, maybe most tricky then is when there's a what's called a two-layer document. I'm thinking of the Gospels, okay, which is where we're trying to understand what Jesus said, mm. but then there's this added second layer of, well, Jesus didn't write it. Someone else, put Someone the words else in Jesus wrote mouth. what Jesus is saying. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, I do want to get, I want 
the intent of the original speaker that the author of Luke was is trying to recapture. Yeah. Um, and when I have like, so for instance, let's say, yeah, cards on the table. I don't think Calvinism is accurate. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm not, I have the tendency, I would, it would take a lot for me to interpret something that Jesus was saying as something friendly toward the Calvinistic model. I see. Because for other reasons, you've already put that model as being low probability of I've, being right. That's one of the, like after some consideration, yeah. I'm kind of blocking that off as like... It's like a filter you're using. Yeah. It's not that because that's wrong, you know, Yeah. for other reasons. Like that's a, that's a poor theology. And that's going to sound horrible to the Calvinists out there, but yeah. uh, I think that's bad theology. And so because of my Christology, which mm-hmm. is like Jesus is perfectly revealing who God is. Doesn't teach bad theology. I just don't think that that's the route it's going. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Because of other, it's, it's, I think it's both happening at the same that's time. That's what like I'm wondering. You're, you're, you're doing your exegeting and you come up with something and then you um, develop some theology that yeah. you think is correct. And then you encounter some passages that may be slightly in tension with that. And you want to let the author speak for themselves totally. Yeah. Um, but alas, you're in the position of acquiring evidence of what you think the author means. And part of your evidence base is the truth, this truth. Yeah. And so the author can't be saying something not this truth. Yep. Unless you're unless you want to go with the author is inconsistent. They're bad at writing. Yep. Which we don't typically do want to do. You mean with do. themselves or with some other book in the Bible? With themselves. Yeah, okay. Just yeah. I want to sure. be clear because it might have sounded like, well, Luke said something that is in tension with what Hosea said. You know That I'm totally and fine And that with. should be no problem. Right. If we're seeking authorial intent. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Another reason why maybe the systematic theology folks gravitate toward the census plenier. Because yeah. there is this unified right. spiritual meaning throughout that'll be consistent with your systematic theology. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, interesting, man. Okay. You see, yeah, I hope, I hope I'm not contradicting myself there, but... I don't think you are. I just... It's something to be aware of, though, like... If you are applying a filter, even when you're trying to get it authorially intent. Oh, I said it again, man. Authorial. I know, I know. That's what you're saying. No, there's a little why that's sneaking in on the end. Say it. Authorially intent. Oh. You know? Oh. <laughs> well, that time I did it deliberately, okay. but it's like my mouth wants to say that. What was I saying? Oh, just that, it, yeah, it's something to be aware of. If you are bringing a filter to the table and that filter is based on pre-existing theology or something you have, just do that consciously at least. Um, I don't know, maybe leave room for the author to say something that is at odds with your pre-established theology. Or like a great example, man, that we were doing the whole podcast on it, but Revelation, uh, like what the, the uh, possible options for what the author meant by it is almost already... Um, the different pathways are already kind of filtered off based on what 
even type of thing you think you're reading to begin yeah, with. Yeah, right, exactly, man. Like exactly. your theological commitment to the type of thing going on yep. already kind of blocks you out. It will inform what you can consider. It informs your take on authorial intent. Right, right, right. That's, I think that's what I'm getting. And so to the extent that that happens elsewhere in Scripture, mm -hmm. there are these little difficulties that arise mm -hmm. where because your theology is part of your data set, your evidence gathering, yeah. Um, there, there is no like bald faced authorial intent that you can just grab on. Like, yeah, it's me trying to find out what that is. Yes, with evidence. Yeah, and I have a lot of different pieces of evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's good, man. So hopefully that. Um, so I like to say this in these kind of settings where. Uh, even myself, I can walk away from, particularly those that care a lot about scripture and wanting to know more, it can feel really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot to know. Well, people give their whole lives. And I want, I do kind of want you to feel that though. Mm. And not just like if you're disappointed, like I just want to open my Bible, like the magic eight ball thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It doesn't work it, that way. That's not what we're doing. That's not what, yeah. uh, it does take quite a bit of effort to understand this. And and at the same time, I'm not saying that you knowing your Bible like professors do is the end all be all of spirituality. Oh, good man. So or that, or that that is required to be a faithful Christ follower. That you have to be, give your whole life to academic study of the scriptures. It's like it's possible to embody Christ without necessarily understanding, because not everybody's capable intellectually of doing the kind of work that might be mm -hmm. required for that understanding right so yeah i find it exciting because just that like when i think about as i'm preparing a message or something uh, um to me the bible these days feels like a deep well of nuggets that could be mined you know there's mm -hmm. so much i still have to learn about it that even passages that I've read before and think I'm familiar with, I can dig and, and find little cultural or whatever nuggets that just turn the gem on it for me and help me to see it in a new way and hopefully get closer to authorial intent. Um, so it's a, it's a big task, but it, that can be exciting. It doesn't have to be daunting. Yeah. What is the Bible and what do we do with it? Mm. It's a, a catalog of the spiritual experiences of our you know, spiritual ancestors mm -hmm. and them trying to understand what God is like in their time and place. Yeah, That's also what I'm trying to do. Right, it's relevant. And so I can, that's why I consider them my spiritual heritage. Mm -hmm. I can, And it's so different and it's often so strange and weird. But, I mean, they would think our world looks really strange and weird. Yep. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens. <laughs> yeah. And we're trying, we're both trying to make, uh, make sense of who we are, what the world is really like, what God is like, what our place is and that's in it. what the Bible is. It's a offering, a time slice of history. Mm. Uh, here's this whole people group's thoughts on the matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and maybe just maybe the the living and active God of the cosmos was in communion with them, and mm -hmm. they were hearing and listening, and were inspired to write some to things pass down. It on. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, cool. And then there's other aspects to the Christian life that are not just this. Right. There, You could just listen to God for yourself and, mm -hmm. and not consult 
this whole history. And mm-hmm. Something you can do. It's called prayer. Yeah. You can sit and contemplatively reflect and, and and try to listen to what the Holy Spirit's asking you to do. Mm-hmm. And okay, yeah, and there's other things too. Should be so, doing that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I want you to feel the weight of the responsibility of of handling it with care, and we want to get to the meaning of the passage, and that might take a lot of work. And at the same time, it's not the only. It's not the it's only, and project. it's not a required right. pathway to Christ's likeness. It it might help quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, that's good, man. No, thanks for sharing. Appreciate yeah. that. If you um if you found that helpful, you've got questions, comments. If you staunchly disagree, uh, feel free to reach out. You can leave a comment on this YouTube video, of course, or email us mailbag at opentotruth.com. We read all of those and respond to all of those. So we'd love to interact with you. Yep. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah. Anything else? So that's it. That's fine. All right. Yep. Join the conversation and stay curious. Thank you.